Welcome to the podcast. Today we are having our second episode sharing more about personal and family stories. And we are talking today about eye sensitivity. And to do that, we are receiving um, a dad, which is a rare sighting over here. And this dad is himself highly sensitive and has highly sensitive children too. So our guest is Zia Hassan, and he boasts a diverse background in education, holding a master's in teaching with specialization in human growth and development, and year of experience in public school education. Beyond the classroom, Zia has been instrumental in imparting soft skills to leaders. Having grown up as a highly sensitive child, Zia brings a unique and personal perspective to the challenges and nuances of raising emotionally intense children. This personal journey combines with academic insight, fuels Zia's passion for guiding parents and caregivers. Additionally, as an ICF certified life coach for expecting dads, Zia seamlessly bridged the gap between academic understanding and real-world application, positioning himself as a guiding light for families navigating the complexity of childhood emotion. So, let's welcome Zia over on the podcast. Welcome to Parenting the Intensity, where we'll talk all about how we can drop the general parenting advice that doesn't work with our emotionally intense kids anyway, and let go of the unrealistic expectations society puts on us as parents. Together, we'll find solutions and ideas that work for you and your kids. Chances are, deep down, you know what they need, but you need a little encouragement to keep going on harder days and permission to do things differently and help you fully trust that you already are a wonderful parent to your exceptional but challenging kids. Do you read all the things, listen to all the things, take all the courses, and you know a whole lot of things about parenting, but you struggle to actually apply them in your real life? then you're in luck. I just started the Parenting the Intensity community, which is a uh, monthly group support for parents of emotionally intense kids. And the goal is exactly that, to take all the information you learn from the podcast and from all the other sources and adapt them so that it works for your child and your family, your reality. Because things can work, but not always the same way for everybody. So the same thing might need to be adapted to work for you and sometimes it's, it's hard to sort through everything to choose the right things that so that you can really enjoy your life and your kids not always being afraid of the next outburst you can join by clicking on the link uh, in the show notes or on the website hi um yeah, welcome to be to the podcast. Um, Thank you for I'm having me, Anouk. Really glad to have you here. Um, well, I think a lot of our emotionally intense kids are highly sensitive, so I'm really glad to have you tonight to talk more about eye sensitivity. I think it's something that is not well understood, and often we will like just say that someone who 
is whining a lot and it can be annoying. So I, I'm happy to have you on. And especially, I think it's something that is a lot associated to women and girls. So I'm really glad to have a father on to talk about that. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a change, definitely. So um, can you tell, tell us a little bit more of why you do what you do and what you do? Yeah, it's a long and winding road. And <laughs> I always struggle to tell it because there's so much detail packed into this, this journey. Um, so I'll try and be brief. But essentially, um, I started as an IT consultant and I hated it. I was bored every single day. I worked for IBM and I did government consulting essentially. And uh, I just looked out the window all day and wished that I could be somewhere else. <laughs> and uh, I, the one thing I did love doing was when people would call the help desk. We were like a second tier help desk. I loved picking up the phone and answering the phone and helping people through whatever technology challenge they were having and teaching them something. So after a while, I thought, hmm, maybe I should become a teacher. And I left IBM and became a teacher. And I did that. I taught kids um, ages between the ages of nine and 12 over the course of my teaching career in DC. And when I had my own kids, I decided it was time to leave that um, so I could focus on just my own kids and not other people's kids. Uh, but the nice thing is I had a master's in teaching at the time. So uh, parenting, other than parenting a newborn, which is a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, parenting a toddler, parenting my five-year-old comes very naturally to me. It feels like I'm using a lot of those skills. Um, mm -hmm. So after I left teaching. And after I left the classroom, I be, did a number of things. I worked for Microsoft for a number of years, Microsoft Education. So I still got to be involved in education and more of the technology side. And I got to travel all around the state of Maryland and show people how different tech works. And through that, I met uh, people at different colleges. And I got a job as an adjunct professor in 2020. It was February of 2020. Oh. I don't know if you remember what happened after that, but <laughs> we I had my first five classes in person. Uh, at a place called Anne Arundel Community College. And the class that I was scheduled to teach there and that I still teach to this day is called Human Growth and Development. So I get to teach a little bit of de developmental psychology to people who are either studying to be teachers or they currently are teachers and they're looking for a certification. They all have to take my course and not from me specifically, but they have mm -hmm. to take my course. So it's given me a lot of insight into parenting. And at the same college, I also instruct and am a graduate of their coaching program. So we have a life engagement executive coaching program. Coaching skills are kind of the same across the board. People just niche and they pick different audiences to serve, but ultimately mm -hmm. coaching is coaching. And so we teach those skills at AACC and I am one of the instructors that gets to teach it, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. So all of these things come together now. And the, what I describe to people, what I tell people is I am someone who helps people in the midst of change. I help them navigate the turbulence. I help them deal with the emotional chop uh, and, and the practical side of it too, uh, actually putting one foot in front of the other. And in all the jobs that I do, I do corporate training and professional kind of development, uh, things like conflict conflict resolution and anger management and um, managing people in the workplace. Um, I still teach my college courses that I mentioned earlier, and I'm a coach in two different ways. One of them is I coach people who are in a career pivot or a career transition. They're, they're going from one career trajectory to another. And then I also coach new dads, dads who find out they're about to become fathers and they're like freaking out. Uh, so that, <laughs> that is 
Those those are all the various things that I do, but helping people amidst change is kind of the theme mm-hmm. of all of it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's change, it's different change for sure, but it's still change and when you change, it's kind of similar no matter what the change is. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Great. And so um you are um highly sensitive yourself i am highly sensitive and i've never been diagnosed as a highly sensitive person like yeah. i've never I'm been i'm not to even a... sure it's i don't think it's a, di- a formal diagnosis yeah it, there is a book that was written about highly sensitive people and so whether it's a formal diagnosis or it's just a a way of describing a certain personality type or temperament regardless i fit that perfectly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i always have <laughs> it's been with me since i've been uh since i was a young child um and the way that I might like when I was a kid, I was glued to my headphones and my cassette player because at the time in the <laughs> early 90s, that's oh, what yeah. I had. Didn't have a disc man yet, um, but I had this cassette player, this Sony Walkman, and I would listen to music. And my parents used to kind of joke about how I was just glued to it. I was just immersed in it. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's where it started for me. The connection that I had to music was deeper than most people around me. The way that it made me feel, the way that it kind of gave me a narrative for life, kind of activated my senses. I think that's where I started feeling this sense of um, of, of of high sensitivity. But it kind of escalated, escalated from there, I guess is the right way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe in your own world what, what words? What is high sensitivity? So for me, and this is borrowing a definition from... Oh boy, I wish I remember the name of the person who wrote the book. Um, that might be. Is it the Elen? I'm not. Yes. Yeah, Elaine Aronson. Yeah, that's right. I believe that's her name. Um, she wrote that high sensitivity is having a finely tuned nervous system. When I heard that definition, it all made sense. It all made sense because when I was growing up, high sensitivity was just basically how you described it when we started this this meeting, mm-hmm. you had said, uh, it's kind of like if someone's whining too much or if they cry a lot, mm-hmm. um, then people will say, oh, they're just really sensitive or if they get their feelings hurt easily, which mm-hmm. I did as a kid. I was a kid who, if, um, you know, s- stuff that other kids could handle, you know, kind of ribbing and people making fun of me, I I, I did not do well with that sort of thing. I'm mm-hmm. better now. I've learned to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time it was like a very, uh, I was extremely sensitive to those Um, those types of behaviors. And so I would come home and I'd be crying about something that happened at school. I'd be relaying all the details and telling the story over and over to my teachers and my parents. And nobody really knew how to help me. Mm -hmm. The most anyone could tell me, either they would be a good listening ear Mm -hmm. or they would tell me to just grow a thick skin or, you know, why, why do you care about that? Just don't just care less about it. You would dismiss it basically. Yeah, or or they were trying to be helpful, I think. They were trying to tell me that there it was possible uh to ignore it essentially, to ignore mm-hmm. the the feelings that I was having. And um and I'll and I'll go into detail later about why I feel like that is not the right approach, but I think mm-hmm. everybody who was doing it was well meaning. They were trying to help. Mm-hmm. I just think they didn't really know what to do. Yeah, it makes sense. And you were talking about the gender thing earlier. I think part of it is that I grew up as a boy. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that 
when it comes to that, maybe for some girls, uh, the way that that when they have issues like this, like interpersonal issues with friends, um, sometimes we're a little bit more receptive to mm-hmm. helping them and talking through it and giving them coping strategies and coping mechanisms. And when it's a boy, sometimes we're like, just suck it up, basically. Yeah. And and it wasn't as if I grew up with sort of like, oh, you're a boy. And so you you can't be that sensitive and don't be sensitive. It was just an underlying feeling of like, why is this so important? Why do you care so much? The other thing, the other way that I would define high sensitivity, uh, I said how it's a finely tuned nervous system. So that has mm-hmm. to do with how you feel things, of course, but it also has to do with other sensory parts of your of your being. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Um, if I'm around a very strong smell, like I have two children and if one of them has thrown up, which happens a lot with young kids. Um, I it is very hard for me to be around the very intense smell. And mm-hmm. I have to, right? I have to clean it up. Or if I'm if I'm the the parent that's there, I I can, you know, I really I have to take care of it. So mm-hmm. I have to deal with it. But it's really hard. When there are loud noises, uh someone like my wife, she doesn't notice. Uh like if there's a loud bass, you know, a loud car driving by our house that's booming bass, it mm-hmm. really gets me irritated. It really raises my blood pressure. It gets me really annoyed. Yeah. Whereas she's totally fine. She doesn't even notice. Sometimes I'm like, do you hear that? And she'll say, no, I don't hear that. <laughs> um, so apparently about one fifth of the human race is highly sensitive, this this temperament that I'm describing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it can probably it's probably on a continuum for a lot of folks or on a yeah. spectrum. Yeah, some people are more sensitive than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good start to explain what sensitivity means for me. Yeah, I think that's a good example. And yeah, it's it's a, definitely a spectrum because I've learned recently, like some people, for example, will sense if there's like roadkill, they will sense the, the, the like how they feel basically. Or like if someone is hurt, they will feel the, like someone else yeah. um, hurt. So it's like, it it is like some people are really 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 highly sensitive and it is almost unbearable, but mm. then there's like all the spectrum until like you said your wife just doesn't hear that car she probably do, do but like it doesn't bother at all so just doesn't she doesn't bother. realize that that's happening so I would say that's the norm probably <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you were saying something a minute ago that made me think of it remind me where, how you started that, that uh. Thought. It was the, the spectrum and I talk about the roadkill. Oh, is, that, that people feel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, I feel uh, when, when someone has passed away and mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, my mom used to say, you should call so-and-so and, you know, give, give your condolences. Um, I would avoid it. I still do. I still avoid it to this day. Mm-hmm. I know it's the right thing societally to do. I know it generally makes people feel better, but I, to, to walk into that much pain in mm-hmm. someone else's life for me becomes extremely overwhelming. It seems more so than a lot of people. I don't know yeah. what to say. I kind of freeze up. So I've learned over the years to cope with that by coming up with scripts. So I, there's a certain thing I will say to people now, and it's not anything groundbreaking. It's the typical thing that you might say mm-hmm. to someone who who lost uh, somebody in their life. But it, it took that for me to actually be able to confront someone who had lost, had had was was grieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's. It can definitely be harder if you f- can feel the other person's feeling more than the typical person would, because then you are not just there for them. You are also feeling that pain or that sadness yourself for real. It's not just like most people will be there just to support the other person. Right. Yeah. 
So yeah, that totally makes sense. And as a parent, there's a lot of that, like you gave a lot of examples, like the, the noise and the smells, and there's lots of things as parents that can be overwhelming when you have a more sensitive uh, nervous system. How do you cope with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. How do you cope with that? You can't just grow a thick skin. No. You can't just ignore it. Um, I suppose you could train yourself to do that. But the thing about a temperament, and this is something that I've learned teaching human growth and development, you have a temperament and you have a personality. Your temperament is kind of the core of who you are. And there are different categories of different types of temperaments. You can look at someone's configuration. No one person is exactly the same, of course, mm -hmm. but you can kind of see things like rhythmicity, like going to the bathroom, how often you do that times of the day, uh, whether you're a night owl or a, a morning person. Um, and one of those things happens to be uh, how sensitive you are. And I don't know, I would, I'd be interested to see with my parents, uh, what I was like as a baby. Uh, they, mm. they never said that I was particularly sensitive as a baby or that they noticed anything, but I was their first child. So they may not have had any comparison. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have this temperament that is sort of at your core. And the thing about the temperament is you can't change it. No, you can't change it. Personality is the other thing, the thing that gets formed by your environment. So mm -hmm. personality can shift over time and it works with the temperament and they do this little dance. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, that's that's the fundamental misunderstanding that my caretakers when I was a kid had. They thought this was something that could be changed. Mm -hmm. That if we just say, just change it, just get over it because we don't, we're not as sensitive as you are, that I'd be able to do it. And of course I can't, I can't change mm -hmm. it. So the question then is how do you cope with uh, sensitive feelings. So for me, it depends on what those feelings are. One of the biggest tools that has helped me cope with the, the emotional side of things, so the feelings side, is assertive communication. And by that, I just mean that there's a lot of sensitive people tend to be uh, more on the passive side, meaning that uh, I don't want to put it bluntly, but they kind of become like a doormat. Or at least that was my experience. I was very passive with people. So if you, if I wanted something, I would not say it. Uh, I would wait until someone asked me if I needed something. I wouldn't just say my needs. Mm -hmm. And um, and then if uh, you pushed me to a point where I would get really upset, I would flip into aggressive mode. So the other side of that spectrum, and I would just lose it. So either you're walking all over me or I'm flipping out on you, which is inconsistent with that behavior. So it put people off. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my friends, if they got, if they saw that side of me, would be like, that's not you. Like what, how dare yeah. you? They don't <laughs> so expect I, that at all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're a nice guy, right? So you, yeah. you know, that's not part of who you are, but it is. And it's a consequence of not staying somewhere in the middle. So the, the middle way is being assertive. It's stating your needs to other people. And it's accepting that they're, they're going to do the same to you. You want people to be assertive with you as well. So when I'm with someone who's overly aggressive and I'm, I'm in that passive mode, that is a, a dynamic that is really hard for me. And mm -hmm. I do happen to have very aggressive, some very aggressive friends. And we have a lot of friction sometimes mm -hmm. because of that. Then I have friends that uh, if we're both passive, sometimes we don't say what needs to be said. So what I really want in my, in my relationships is for both people to be assertive. And I've learned that if I am assertive, I train people around me to be more assertive and, and to interact and communicate with me in that way. Mm -hmm. Someone who might be a bully in, in, in a situation where I'm more passive might be more on an equal footing if I'm assertive with that person, because then they're going to be assertive back. And when you mm -hmm. have two people who are assertive, uh, you have a really healthy 
healthy, in my opinion, a really healthy form of communication. So when I stay in that middle ground, I learn to cope with those feelings and emotions. The sensitivity to other stimulus like sound and uh, smell, that's a little bit harder. There's, it's yeah. harder to deal with. So uh, the one way I've done, like at night, I sleep with a white noise machine. I discovered this when my son was born and I've just kept it in my room ever since. And it's an incredible <laughs> invention. It just masks the sound around you. Yeah. If there was a car going by, you'd never know it. I might wear earplugs. Um, and with smells, I kind of, you know, I don't deal with pungent smells often, but if I do, um, I usually have my wife come in to to help with whatever's going on if she, if she happens to be there. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, if she's not, then of course I just deal with it. It's not like it's going to kill me. I just have to suck it up in those cases. So there are some yeah. times where I just have to say this. But the thing that I think I'm coming, the, 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 the point behind all of this is that being an HSP is not an excuse to not be assertive or to shirk your responsibility as a parent. Um, it is, it is, something to be aware of and to learn coping strategies like these. These just happen to be mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everybody, of course, has their own, but I think it's interesting to know like how you've dealt with that. Um, and so you, you touched a little bit on that, that you don't think it was the right thing to do to tell you to like grow a thick skin or something or to try to have you grow out of it. Um, what, how would you suggest that parents support children that are are sensitive instead? The thing about stimulus is that for people like me, when we're encountering a strong feeling or a strong smell or sound or whatever it might be, there's no gap between that stimulus and our response to it. So there's no, we we're not trained to like for most people, they're able to say, Ooh, that's a loud noise. And then separate the emotion of feeling like, well, maybe I'm bothered by it, but they can kind of separate from it a little bit. For me, there's this immediate reaction that happens. So one of the tools that really helps with an HSP is mindfulness. It's learning to put a little gap between you and the thing that is bothering you. So if it's, say, a feeling that has come up, when I was a kid, I would just feel it. I would just mm -hmm. let it overtake me. It would just overtake me like it was like a fire or something like that, just kind of like consume me. Now I've learned, and this happened through many years of therapy and coaching and um, and just personal growth on my own part, uh, practice in the real world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, I've learned that if I experience an emotion and I label it, which is just a form of mindfulness, that's a, a technique or a tactic, mm -hmm. but the strategy is mindfulness. Um, I've learned if I can label my emotions it's important to have that vocabulary, but also it separates, it takes me one level of abstraction away from that emotion. So if I say I'm feeling, I'm feeling ruffled by the sound of this police siren going by, I can, I, and I say that out loud, I get to say, I am feeling ruffled, not I am ruffled, not mm -hmm. I am distressed. I'm feeling distressed. This is a feeling that I'm experiencing right now. And in that moment, I get to take a bird's eye view of myself and say, ah, this is Zia experiencing that thing. Doesn't make it immediately better, but it does make that, that level of separation lowers the anxiety, lowers the stress that that stimulus brings to me. So this is just one way that I could say, if you have a child who seems to be highly sensitive, and by the way, 
children are highly sensitive by their very nature. So mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want parents listening to this to think, oh yeah, my child is like gets, you know, they cover their ears when the loud toilet in the airport goes off. More um, kids it, will do that. Yeah. Most kids right. uh, like under the age of five, six will do that. Yeah. That's exactly. true. They, like the same with the vacuum or. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's not, that's very typical. Mm -hmm. um, it's really when you start to get out of early childhood. So around the age of six is when early childhood ends and you get into middle childhood where when you start to see some of these behaviors, still, I don't think you should say, oh, okay, my child's defi definitely a, an HSP, but be aware, even if they're not highly sensitive, they could be sensitive. Mm -hmm. They could be on that spectrum. And then these techniques still help them. There are people that don't consider themselves highly sensitive that still need coping strategies for sensitive situations. Mm -hmm. I would say I'm I'm pretty much on that end of the spectrum. Like I'm not super highly sensitive, but some things will bother me more than most people will. So yeah, definitely agree that it it's it can be a challenge and it can be useful. And honestly, those techniques can be useful for any children right let's be exactly. like it, it, it's it's worth for any like it, there's no arm in using that with any children anyway yes. so it's not like um if you were arming your child if you're trying that because you're not sure if your child is highly sensitive or not yeah. but yeah that i think that's important to make the distinction in um a young child that doesn't like noise and that's normal because their sense of like their senses in general are more aware of yeah. everything at that age than we and, are as adults. We lose some of it as adults. <laughs> that's right. And there are other conditions too, where these yeah. tactics still work just the same way. For instance, I know when I was in the classroom for my students that had ADHD, sometimes they wore noise canceling headphones, or even if they were on the autism spectrum, mm -hmm. they, they would wear headphones sometimes to keep focused and to block out some of the noise. Yeah, a lot so, of, of like a neurodivergent children will be highly sensitive also, for sure. Yep. But even in the general classroom, I was just talking about this in one of my education classes. There's something that you'll see. I don't know if they do this in Canada, but in, in the States, they have this thing in a lot of classrooms called the calm down corner or the cozy corner, sometimes mm -hmm. they'll call it. And this is a place that used to be like go to timeout for kids. You know, you're misbehaving, so go to time. You're having a tantrum, so go to timeout. Now we're a little bit more progressive and we realize it's a skill that they don't have. It's a part of their brain that's not developed yet. And so when they lose themselves, they lose their minds, they need a place to get it back. And that's mm -hmm. the, co the calm down corner. And one of the things that people that I've seen the most pro teachers put in the calm down corner is a mirror. Why a mirror? Because when you look at a mirror and you are feeling an emotion, all of a sudden you see yourself, you see that emotion and it's just like naming it. You can mm -hmm. see it and you can say, oh, I look angry. Oh, I'm experiencing the feeling of anger. Mm -hmm. so they don't quite think that eloquently at that age necessarily, but no. same idea. Uh -huh. It puts a distance between you and your emotion. Again, that's another. Exactly. Love that thing because for younger kids or for kids that have more trouble naming their emotions because lots of kids even at like 10, 12 can still have some trouble being aware of their oh, emotion yeah. and naming them. I think that's a great tip. Um, yeah, we, we we remember adolescence, right? <laughs> it, is, it is not understanding your emotions is the name of the game. Yeah, <laughs> I have two of those in my house. So ah, there you go. Remember. Yeah, you know all about it. <laughs> you don't have to remember. It's right oh. there. <laughs> it's right yeah. in my face. Yep. So yeah, definitely get that. And I think it's also true for some so many people. And especially if even as as adult if we were like our emotion were dismissed by our caretakers for like you were saying not because they wanted to 
arm us, but they didn't understand how we were experiencing the world, we might have learned not to experience our feeling the way that they should. Like, I'm not sure I'm clear, but like, you you learn that what you're experiencing is not what you're experiencing because you right. were like negated your own experience so you don't yep. you're not in contact with your feeling as much that's right it's kind of like an unintentional form of gaslighting like i yeah. really don't i really don't want to uh tur- turn the caretakers in my life into villains here they were doing no. the best they could they were trying to help but it is it is exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. where it's almost feels like you know they don't believe the experience mm-hmm. that I'm having. And even to this day, I'll talk to friends about certain experiences that that I have and they won't even believe it. They're not as yeah. aggressive about telling me to change my mind about it, but but it's pretty clear that they don't quite relate. They don't quite understand. Yeah. And I think there's some simple example. Like I do have one, one of my daughter clearly is highly sensitive. And for example, it can take her seven minutes to put on socks because mm. the seam needs to be just exactly right. And sometimes as parent, that can be so annoying because you have to leave the house and you're stressed for time. But then if you don't let that time, the child will experience, uh, it's not just a discomfort, it's, it hurts. So yeah. it, like, yeah. it, it's like, like if you step on glass, you would not expect someone who stepped on glass to just move on right now right. and leave the house. But for those, for children that are highly sensitive, it can be as aggravating, like it can be just a seam or uh, a tag in some clothing or things oh, like yeah. that, that they, f- it feels like I, I can tell you sometimes I need to take some shirt off and put on another one because the tag is just bothering me so much. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny you say that. I think about, I'm in this room with all these guitars and they are for the most part in pristine condition. Some of them are older but they've been in pristine condition. And my prize one is it's sitting over there. You can't see it. It's a German custom made guitar. I called a La- the brand is called Lakewood. And I came home one day to this Lakewood, uh, something had fallen on it and the side of it had split open. And I was beside myself. I mean, this is my prize guitar. This is the one that I saved up all the money for. And I went upstairs and I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to buy another guitar. And my wife was like, couldn't you maybe just give it to the repair shop and see what they can do. And I was like, I don't think they're going to be able to do anything. It's done. It's done. It's like this huge gash. Anyway, they repaired it for like $80 and <laughs> it's on the bottom of the guitar. So I barely see it anymore. So it's one of those. So that's another coping strategy is I have to reframe a little bit. In that moment, I talked to my guitar friend and I said, I just, there's this blemish on this beautiful guitar. And they said, look, it's a, it's a battle scar. Right? <laughs> you you go through adventures with this guitar. This guitar has been with you through thick and thin. You've told stories with it. You've you've experienced life with it. And mm. just like you get little nicks and and pimples and you know parts of you that are need to be repaired and uh, you have surgery sometimes. You know mm. the, the guitar is the same way. And that simple reframe was enough for me to say, ah, I get it now. And I can actually feel that guitar more deeply now. It's my guitar because mm. of the experiences that I've been through with it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting because like you said, you talked to someone who loved guitar as much as you. So like the vocabulary was similar, like he could feel your pain and understand your pain, even if not necessarily as highly sensitive, but the shared interest and shared passion gives that opportunity to understand deeper the experience that you were you were having i'm guessing in yes. that moment yes that's why I, that's why i messaged this person i knew that mm-hmm. they would have something to share <laughs> yeah different than than 
someone else in your life that might love you, but just don't get it. Doesn't get it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, we touch a bit, but how would you identify that a child is highly sensitive and is it necessary to do so? Yeah. I don't know that it's necessary to do so. I think for me, it all comes down to every individual is different. So even among highly sensitive kids, they aren't going to show the sensitivity in the same way. Mm -hmm. Like your, your example of your daughter with the clothing is not something that I relate to, but that mm -hmm. still could be a highly sensitive trait. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, what I think is really important is understanding the needs of kids. Yeah. And that goes for any parent. If you understand the needs of your child, especially if they aren't typical, that's the key. Because mm -hmm. sometimes we think to ourselves like, okay, in a typical child, it would look like this. So we want our kid to be typical. And if they're yeah. not, we're like, no, no, let's figure out how we can get them to be typical. But <laughs> some kids don't fall into the typical way of living. And especially mm -hmm. when you break it down into the different components of, of development, like cognitive, social, emotion, uh, you know, physical development, In some of those domains, they may be perfectly typical, and in other ones, they might not be. And this is what I tell my human growth and development students. We actually will do child studies and we'll say whether or not these behaviors are typical or not. Mm -hmm. And it often feels sometimes like we're we're kind of throwing a slur, like, ah, they're atypical. But by saying atypical, all we're saying is they might need something different mm -hmm. than the mainstream child might need or the typical child might need. What is that thing? We're going to have to think really carefully about what that thing is. So I don't think it's it's necessary to diagnose them or to say, okay, you are an H HSP. I came to it on my own just because I read the book and it really struck me. If mm -hmm. I was, uh, if my, one of my children seemed like they were also an HSP, what I might say is I identify as an HSP because I read this book that really, when I read it, I was like, this is me. Mm -hmm. And I might show them the book and I might say, here are some of the things that when you think of a highly sensitive person, this, these are some of the things that come up. What do you think, child? Mm -hmm. And if they're like, that's me, yeah. like, great, we have a connection. And it doesn't mean we have to go on and say, okay, let's go buy you an HSP t-shirt or anything <laughs> like that. It just means, oh, okay, so you need some coping mechanisms. And mm -hmm. even if they say, oh, that's me some of the time, okay, you still need some coping mechanisms. And even yeah. if they say, that's not really me, but I do still struggle with sensitivity. Hey, guess what? You still need some coping <laughs> mechanisms for whatever it is that your temperament is bringing out in you. Yeah. Basically, Everybody always needs coping me mechanism. <laughs> yes, but it might it might be that people who are HSP uh, need the need ty types yeah. of coping mechanisms that might seem unnecessary to someone who doesn't understand definitely. what it's like to be in a highly sensitive body. Yeah, definitely. And can you give you gave a few, but can you give other examples of what kind of coping mechanism or how can they help? Like, yeah. I, how can parents help their children, especially if they are not? highly sensitive and they have some trouble grasping the level of distress there. The kids can be in things that looks like it's yes. nothing for them. You know, I, I have a dad and therefore, uh, and, and, and in our house growing up, we had air conditioning and therefore the air conditioning was always set to, uh, was, it was always cold in the house. It was always freezing cold in the house. And um, I think, you know, me complaining about it, uh, my sister complained about it too. But for me, it was like, I could not like, I couldn't feel like safe in my own skin in this temperature. Mm -hmm. So ways, ways to cope with it, super simple. Look, I'm wearing an electric blanket right now. I'm sitting in my <laughs> studio downstairs. You know, it's not super cold outside yet. It's mid-September, but I'm wearing this blanket because uh, I need it in order to regulate my body temperature down here. If I didn't have it, I would be so uncomfortable in this interview that I wouldn't be able to do it. Mm -hmm. 
So, so I plan I plan for these things. Yeah. <laughs> it's also and, and... it's also why I like have to leave early for places. If I'm late, if I'm if oh gosh, if you ever see me in the car and I'm running late to something, like it almost feels like it's the end of the world. Oh, and by I the time you. I get there, my voice is gone because I've been screaming. So I haven't I haven't experienced that in years because I always try and get to places about 20 minutes early. And if I get there early, great. I can sit there and read a book. And if I'm on, you know, if I end up it, traffic gets a little in cuts a little into that, then I I'm good. So yeah. That's a couple couple other ways that I cope. <laughs> headphones, yeah. noise canceling headphones are amazing. Yes. I wear those on flights. Flights are for me extremely difficult um, because there's a lot of, you know, there's turbulence, there's mm -hmm. closed spaces. Like mm -hmm. when they bring the food cart through, when the food cart comes next to me and I'm trapped in that space. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I it honestly feels like I like I have been in situations where I've had to like do heavy deep breathing just to get situated on a plane. Someone recommended to me try noise canceling headphones and I bought these they're called Sony uh Sony XM5s are the current model and I put them on on my first flight and all of that noise just just disappeared and it changed everything. It changed mm. everything for me on flights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think it goes back to what you were saying of like what are the needs, be it the adult of the children, what are the needs and finding coping mechanism that can answer those needs. So if it sounds, the, the headphones are a great, uh, great option. If it's um, smells, that might be a bit more complicated. I would say yeah. essential, we use the essential oil. My, my daughter yeah. um, complained for, I think, a year and a half that the new car smelled like a new car and she didn't like that smell each time yeah. she would put foot in the car <laughs> yeah. so we used essential oils to like cover and help with that so i think there's always an option it's just sometimes require a bit more thinking maybe <laughs> yeah. now the, the flip side the flip side of that is that while really pungent smells will trigger me and get me feeling you know very prickly nice smells it almost feels like I'm in, in heaven or something. Yeah. If you put essential oils, it's not even like it masks the bad stuff. It's like, I feel happy to be alive. It's like, mm -hmm. it enriches me uh, in a way that other people be like, Oh, it smells nice in here. I'll just be like, Oh, it reminds me of, you know, some nostalgic memory. And mm -hmm. I'll just sit there and just take it in for like, you know, five, 10 minutes without saying anything. Yeah. I love it. It's like, because we've been talking about the struggle, but there's also a positive side of being highly right. sensitive. Right. Very positive side. Yeah, that's something I've thought a lot about. Um, one of the things that I realized is in the work that I do, I'm a professional skills trainer. <clears throat> so I work with people both on hard and soft skills. So I teach them things like Microsoft Excel. When they're freaking out and they're having meltdowns <laughs> because they can't figure out how this computer works or it's logged them out or whatever, I'm sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. I can help them. I can yeah. understand them and I don't shut them down. When mm -hmm. one of my students comes to me and says, hey, I didn't come to class yesterday because I needed a little bit of space. I was not feeling myself. Mm -hmm. I might start coaching them instead of saying, well, you, you got to come to class. It's important. I do that because I do think discipline is important. But I'll also say, how can I meet your needs? Mm -hmm. Right? I, coming to class is necessary and how can I support you in getting some of your alone time? Do you need to get up in the middle of class and leave for five minutes? You can just give me a little wave and, you know, mm -hmm. take a little bathroom break, even if you don't have, don't have to go to the bathroom. That's fine with me. Um, I also taught a uh, a third grader once who told me she, she used to cry a lot and have kind of, you know, quote unquote drama with her friends. That's how she mm -hmm. put it. She said, you know, my mom calls me a drama queen. Yeah. And I said, you know, 
maybe, maybe, but also it could be that you're like me. And I didn't say highly sensitive because I don't like to label kids, but I said, mm -hmm. it could be that you're like me. And it could be that. And I said, do your friends come to you with like their deepest, darkest secrets and you're the person they trust? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, it could be that that's the superpower that you actually have. Mm -hmm. That it's not that you're a drama queen. It's not that it could be that people look to you for that emotional resilience, that emotional uh, or maybe more like emotional awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, then as a parent and as a people who coaches parents, I get to put that hat on too of sensitivity. I mm -hmm. get to say, okay, so now I get to ask you the questions that are really going to bring you to the most important realizations of your life. I get to aid you in your transformation. Yeah. I get to aid you in identity shift. You can't do that unless you're sensitive to people's needs, Definitely. sensitive to people's body language. I will mm -hmm. do things like if I see someone, you know, say something and they kind of like look up, I might even say, hey, I just noticed you looked up. They're like, you noticed that sort of thing? It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's the sort of thing I notice as a highly sensitive person. Yeah. I noticed that you looked up. What did that mean? And they're like, I don't know. I guess it means that I feel anxious or scared or whatever it is. Or maybe mm -hmm. it means nothing, right? It, it, the point is that it gets them deeper into that emotion, deeper into what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. I think also one of the, the things that might be a bit dangerous, though, is that when you are highly sensitive, you read people more easily, like you were saying. Yeah. But then sometimes you can assume things that are not true also. Right. That is a habit that I have that I had to unlearn. <laughs> yeah, I'm the I, same. <laughs> I unlearned that through coach training. In coach training, we are actively trained out of making assumptions. Mm -hmm. It's very human. I'm not trying to say that I don't make assumptions anymore. I absolutely do. I make assumptions day and night all the time. But the difference now is that I question them. So if I assume yeah. something about someone, I say, maybe it's not true. Let me just see. Let me explore. Let me ask a powerful question. Let me uh, really understand this person deeply. If I make an assumption, let me try and confirm whether I'm wrong or right. Let mm -hmm. me try and understand this person at a human level because it then it helps both of us learn. And if I'm wrong in my assumption and then they call me out on being wrong, well, guess what? They learn something. I learn mm -hmm. something. We all end up better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so would you say, because I think lots of the time, I don't know if it was your experience, but uh, lots of highly sensitive kids can be intense and have, like you said, a little like meltdown and because they it's just too much. How was it like that for you or how, how did you experience that? Yeah, um, I, I would have meltdowns. I would have uh, crying fits. Um, I... And, and my experience of that is that I was the, the response to that was negative. And here's why I think I think that my my mom and and I love my mom. My mom's great. But this goes for many moms. Honestly, they really don't like it when their kids cry. Yeah, they really don't like it. it hurts. And it hurts. And, and it hurts at almost a maternal, like biological level. Right. Yeah. Because they've been with that child since they were a newborn. And when mm -hmm. that newborn cried, the newborn was communicating they needed something. You have mm -hmm. to go and fix it. You yeah. want a newborn to stop crying because they're crying because they need something. So you want yes. to figure out what they need. As we get older, though, we communicate in different ways. And so crying then becomes an emotional response. It's actually a good thing. So mm -hmm. I tell my kids, the, at least my, my five-year-old now, uh, when he's crying, I, he knows this now. I don't have to say it anymore. I will say, cry until all of it is out. Your body will tell you when all of it is out. 
That's mm-hmm. it. We're mm-hmm. going to stop crying at some point. It's not going to go on forever. <laughs> it never does. But if you're True. sitting there being like, stop crying, stop it. Oh, oh, look at this thing. Let me distract you. Or, look at the bright side. Or let me try and reframe it for you. All of that doesn't work because when we are in that state of we've lost our minds, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, no, we've, no. we've lost, lost control. Access, right. We've lost access to that prefrontal cortex, if you want to think about it scientifically. Mm-hmm. We've lost access to that. The only language we understand is that primitive language of touch of soothing sounds, it's almost like we're a newborn again. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the only thing we're going to understand is comfort food and <laughs> being cuddled and, yeah. uh, you know, soft music and all of that. So well, I guess the point I'm making is that if you're a parent and you have that reaction to somebody like they're crying and you want them to stop crying, my, my, uh, my plea to you, my suggestion, my request is to let them cry until it's all out. Let them cry until it's all out because it's like airplane turbulence. You can't do anything about it. You can try. You can white knuckle the seats. You can pretend like you're in control of the plane like some people do, right? But ultimately, you have to wait it out and you'll be better for it because that is how we process emotions. You hear a lot about how um, we really want boys to process the emotions rather than bottling it all up. Mm-hmm. And we really, really want them to to do that. And so the way we process emotions, one way we process emotions is through crying. Mm-hmm. So if you see your child crying, you might want to think to yourself, they are having a healthy emotional response. Mm-hmm. Let me give them the gift of letting them have it. And mm-hmm. so you can comfort them using some of the things that I talked about earlier. You can mm-hmm. rub their back. You can give them a hug. Even if the thing that they're melting down about is an argument that you've had, you kind of have to detach yourself from that argument for a minute and realize mm-hmm. this logical, rational thing you're trying to do with them is done for now. Yeah. <laughs> it is done until they find themselves again. All your words have no input at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I often no, say no it, effect it, it, at all. Rather, Yeah. At that point, it's like no anything you say just isn't heard at all so you're talking in the void that's (laughs) right exactly (laughs) exactly so you're better to do like you can talk if you want but it's more the tone of voice or and your body language that be will be understood because as you said it's like we're going back it's a primitive response it's an like it's an instinct so we understand that level we don't understand the cognitive level and i didn't really get this before i became a parent honestly because I would see things in the like, let's say I was in a doctor's office and some kid was building some tower mm-hmm. and the the they were doing something like that might knock it down. The parent was like, you're going to knock it down. You're going to knock it down. And they knock it down and then they go absolutely mental. They start crying and you t- tantrum and everything. And then you see the parent go, I told you, <laughs> I told you, you shouldn't have been doing that because you knew it was going to happen and you should have listened to me. Blah, 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 blah. And, and so this is that that logical, rational mind while the kid is completely out yeah. of their mind. They can't understand yeah. any of that. All they're hearing is blah, 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 blah. They're, hearing <laughs> yes. you, blah, blah, blah. they're just hearing this harsh language. So mm-hmm. if you see somebody uh, respond with, even if they were like, I, they, you were, I was telling you that, they might respond by saying, it's okay, and rubbing their back. And mm-hmm. it almost seems like we're coddling. I know like a lot of people are like, we don't want to yeah. coddle our kids, but we're not. What we're doing is we're connecting with them in the in where they are cognitively in that moment Mm -hmm. and helping them get back to status quo, back to homeostasis. And Mm -hmm. then maybe once they're there, perhaps we can then talk about what are some ways we could handle that differently next time? And then we as parents get to manage our emotions too, because that parent who's going, oh yeah, you should have listened to me. They're losing their mind too a little bit. They just Mm -hmm. have words. That's the only difference. (laughs) Yeah, they're (laughs) they're just expressing it differently, but basically the reaction is the same inside. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. 
Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to say or share? I would say the, the one thing I would say is that being highly sensitive is in some ways a superpower. It is a way to connect with people at a, at a level and a, and a way to connect with the world around you at a level that many people don't get to experience. Mm -hmm. Many of us HSPs end up being mystics just by the nature of being highly sensitive because we connect. Because I can, I talk to trees, I talk to the sky. Like to me, these are yeah. living things, right? Mm -hmm. Even though they're, they're sort of part of nature, right? Mm -hmm. the, de the deepest parts of the cosmos I feel connected to. That's, that's what it feels like sometimes to be me, to have mm -hmm. all of that reverberating through me. So if you have a child that's highly sensitive, think of it as how can I teach them to use this superpower for good? Because it can also be used for things that are not so good. Mm -hmm. Especially mm -hmm. if we don't let the children process these emotions. Yeah, it can definitely if, lead to anxiety or depression, even if right. it's not. Um, yeah, if it's not supported, but can also, and it can also be our window as parents to those things. Like that's right. I I can totally see like my daughter is like can see things that I will just pass. Because I don't, I don't have as much as she has that awareness of everything and appreciation. Like I think some of some of highly sensitive people can definitely do mindfulness instinctively to some extent too. Yes. Like the the part of appreciation yes. and like gratitude, gratitude for what's around them. I yep. think, and we have a lot to learn from that too. Yeah, the Zen Buddhism was something I discovered at age 15, and it was the first kind of semi-religious thing that ever spoke to me. I grew mm. up in a house that we we were we we're Muslim, but we weren't like super strictly religious, but I mm. never connected to Islam in any way. The minute that I found Zen Buddhism, and I don't consider myself a Buddhist now, but it was the first thing that really was like, oh, this makes sense. This mm -hmm. aligns. And the other mm -hmm. thing you were saying about that deep appreciation it's what makes us sometimes good artists. Yeah. I'm I I have uh, two books of poetry. I've got, you know, three studio albums and tons of music that I've written for the last, you know, 30 years or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um all of that and my way of seeing the world, anytime you listen to my music and you feel like, oh, that it, it, it warms your heart, that is due to my superpower of sensitivity. So yeah. if you have a child who's sensitive, another way to think about their strength is how are they expressing it? What's their expression of that sensitivity? Is it just that they're they're upset or or is there a way that they can use that sensitivity to help other people see the world in a new way? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very great way to cope with it. Also, I, I'm not even yeah. sure cope is the right word here. It's no, it's absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love that reframe. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a coping mechanism. I thought of it as a coping mechanism, but it is it's it is a it is a way of enjoying the world around you and not being overwhelmed by it because you have a way of expressing Mm -hmm. those emotions mm -hmm. processing just like crying i love yeah. it yeah yeah <laughs> i love that. i think like creativity is a very quite great way and it we see like it's used in therapy um so why not use right. it that way really love it so is there any resource that was helpful for you in your process as a parent yes uh i discovered a, a tv show in the pandemic called bluey do you know the show bluey Yeah, yeah, a little, not not a lot. Weirdly, I guess your kids are slight are slightly older, so they may not have. But been I have into a four it. year old, but oh, okay, okay, yeah. Well, no, never well, caught here for some reason. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I'm part of a uh, dad's group on Facebook, and it's called the Bandit 
the band the it's a bluey group and it's it's based on the dad in bluey the dad in bluey is a guy named bandit or a dog named bandit and he the, the, we don't get great representation as dads on tv and in, in books and stuff we're always there's the deadbeat dad there's the dad who leaves the family there's the homer simpson dad who's a total yeah. idiot you know there's even phil dunphy on modern family is a slightly better than than uh than uh than homer simpson but he still doesn't like know where the forks are you know <laughs> so like not great representation then you have this character bandit who is a phenomenal dad and still a dad He's still a dad, very much like fitting the dad trope, but he's Uh a caring dad. He's an attentive dad. He's an engaged dad. He's a creative Mm -hmm. dad. He's playful. He's in some ways the perfect dad. And so a lot of dads watch the show and they're like, it's great, but it's like there's a lot to live up to. So the reason why I bring this up as a resource is because every single episode of Bluey, in my opinion, is a masterclass in parenting. It's kids love the show. Kids are really into the show and it's got something for them. To me, it is a love letter to parents and it is a love letter to parents about how to handle children in ways that are creative and playful. It's getting into the mind of a child. And if you watch this show, you will become a better parent just by osmosis. I guarantee it. I actually (laughs) have a, there's a podcast episode that I recorded. It's on my, it's a older one from a few years ago um, on my podcast called Gently Down the Stream, where I break down from a developmental perspective an episode of Bluey with a friend of mine. So if you're interested in that. Um, yeah, yeah. Send me the link for that. We'll put that I will. in the show I notes, will. definitely. Yes. <laughs> Bluey is an easy link. I Honestly, I think it's not available in French. Okay. And I think that's why my, my daughter never really... Uh, caught but i'm not sure i would have to double check that and sometimes it's not and then it gets available like the, it becomes available in french I, but i think when we first check it was not and that's why she didn't really um caught on it well i hope it it's becoming more popular so hopefully they, yeah. they have a french overdub now <laughs> i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna take a double look for sure <laughs> okay okay highly recommend it just uh if you if you do watch it there's an episode called sleepy time Mm-hmm. Sleepy Time is about uh, the younger daughter on the show. Her name is Bingo. Bingo Healer uh, is uh, constantly getting out of her bed at night mm-hmm. to go to her parents' bed. Something we are very, a lot of us as parents are yes. very familiar with, right? Yes. And um, the way that it's handled and the way that it's expressed in this episode, I don't want to ruin it for anyone. So please, just, <laughs> it's like it's like no seven spoiler. minutes long. It's 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 a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece and. At the end, if you're not in tears, I would be very surprised. It is it is incredible. Maybe I'm in okay. tears because I'm an HSP. But, but, <laughs> but regardless, watch the show if you want uh, a, a master class in parenting. Why? I mean, we always listen to those episodes that the, our children are looking at again and again and again and again and again. Right, so right. It's perfect if at the same time we're That's learning. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's a great show to just watch over and over because you're you're picking up nuances that weren't picked up on before. Yeah. That's great. And where do people can find you if they want to learn more or work with you? So in I, clearly I, many ways that you can learn. <laughs> yeah. So I coach dads and um, I have a program for new dads. And I'm guessing that if they listen to your show, they uh, are probably not new dads or expecting dads. Um, but I also coach dads that are uh, that have kids. It doesn't they don't you don't have to be somebody who is um, who is a new dad. Um, and so the website to find that program and my info about coaching there is firststepsdad.coach. Mm-hmm. And on there, you can book a 15-minute call where I explain kind of what I do. And don't worry if you're somebody who already has kids. The the program is sort of geared toward the first-time dad. But I coach all people and uh, all all dads and really all parents. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you are someone who wants a career transition, you can find me at ziahassan.coach. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the best place to go to, if you want to just understand me more is my blog, which is ziahassan.blog. And uh, there you can read about all the stuff that I, I think and write about. I'm on YouTube. I'm, I have a podcast called Gently Down the Stream that I know you'll link to. Um, yes. So whatever your method is, you're, I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn. So whatever your method is of following people and getting their content, uh, there. there's a chance that I'm there. <laughs> Maybe not not Twitter or X or whatever it is. Uh, that's the one that I'm not on. Um, but everything else, I'm there. Threads I'm on. So yeah, I'll give you all the links and you can- Yeah, sure. We'll put all of those links in the show notes so people can find you no matter what day. They want to do so thank you very much for being here today it was very thank interesting you. and love all the nuances and um, lived experience that you shared thank you for having me it was a pleasure to be here i'm so glad you joined me today and took that time out of your intense life to focus on finding a new way to parent that works for you and your kids to get the episodes as soon as they drop make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave a rating and review so other parents can find it too. Also, check out all the free resources on my website at familymoments.ca so you can take action on what's the most important for you right now. And take a deep breath, keep going. We're all in this together. <music>